Hello, and welcome to Two Sharp Chefs in a Microphone. I'm Lorraine Moss. And this is Louis Victor. And today we're talking mixology. Yeah. What the heck is that? What's the difference between mixology and bartending? The word was coined in 1856. What the hell? Yeah. Did a little research before I got here. Nice. So. so it's been around for a long time, but it feels like, to me, a new thing. Right. If you see the, the chart of like how it was used, it spiked up maybe in the 1990s. To, it, to now, it's like, I don't even know if people like use the word bartender anymore. It's like a mixologist. They're, they're called mixologists now. Okay. So, yeah. Well, I'm going to start with a quote from a famous, uh, I'm not going to say alcoholic, a person <laughs> who likes alcohol a lot, Old Blue Eyes. Old Blue Eyes. He once said, alcohol may be man's worst enemy, but the Bible says, love your enemy. <laughs> And there's Frank Sinatra for you, a cool guy. And we got a cool guy here with us to talk mixology. We've got J.R. Starkis, Director of Mixology Trade Development for Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits. Welcome. Hello, hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having us in this wonderful classroom. I'm sitting in a classroom that's facing a bar. You don't know. (laughs) This is such a cool room. It's very cool. We'll take pictures of it and put it on social media for you so you can see what this looks like. It's great. But this is how JR and I know each other. So JR is friends with my husband, Mitch Moss. And for those of you who do not know, he has a radio TV show on a Vegas Stats and Information Network, VEASAN. Um, it's the first ever sports betting 24-7 network. But he used to be on local ESPN radio here in Las Vegas. And he came up with this idea to do drinks on the radio. and uh, I believe they still do the segment now on ESPN Radio Uh, but Mitch kind of brought that on Um, I think it was an idea from a long time ago where they did a drunk show (laughs) and I honestly tell them to bring that show back but I guess there's some legality issues there which is is a a great idea for us (laughs) at some point, we'll do a drunk podcast Um, we're going to try to do a Dining in the Dark podcast we should do a drunk podcast yeah should I mean, be easy. Hello, it's chefs. Right, we're, we're talking to chefs. I know food and beverage industry people. You like, should test your cutting skills and your knife skills in the dark. <laughs> in the dark, yeah. Now that's mm. an issue. <laughs> Fingers on the yeah. ground. Right. Renoir this in the dark. <laughs> yeah, Go ahead. I dare you. And then right? I'm gonna, and then we I'm gonna measure it. <laughs> yeah, we should have a contest. Oh my god. Um, so that's how we know each other. Uh, he works at Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits, which is a distributor here in town, um, well, a distributor across the country. Um, but he works at the one here in Nevada. And how does that work? Because I think I don't, a lot of people don't understand how mm-hmm. that works. So what exactly is a distributor as it relates to restaurants and bars? Sure. So, you know, it, it, the distributor is, is, is somebody that's kind of like the middle person in the situation, in the um, transaction between the customer and the supplier. So let's assume for a moment that you're the supplier. So you are um, Bacardi, right? The company Bacardi. And underneath the Bacardi company name, there are a lot of brands, Grey Goose, Bombay Sapphire, you know, St. Germain, etc. cetera. Uh, before those products can get to you, the consumer, whether it be in a restaurant or at the liquor store or whatever the case is, they come to a distributor. 
uh, they don't go directly from the supplier to the restaurant or whatever the case may be. Um, so we are responsible for getting that out into every market, but obviously in Las Vegas, just the Las Vegas and Nevada market are our main concerns. But as you mentioned, uh, Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits is across the country. Right. Uh, we're the largest distributor in the country, so we we distribute to anybody who sells beer, wine, liquor, spirits, sake, anything. I got a question real quick. Mm-hmm. Why can't I order wine online and have it shipped to Nevada? It's it's part of the three tier system that we have here in Nevada. You know, uh. so the three tier system states that you have to basically purchase from um, a, from a liquor store or whatever the case may be locally, and that liquor store or whoever has to get it through a distributor. Right. And that's uh, so it's it's a very protected system here in Nevada. Okay. Um, and it, you know it protects a lot of jobs too because. Um, you know, it, it eliminates a lot of like free for all, um, right. but it also, there's a lot of, you know, if you've, if you've read a lot lately, there's a lot of problems with, um, people forging and putting illegal spirits in bottles and selling things in bottles that aren't real. <gasps> you know, it happens a lot. Wow. Here? Yeah. Oh, well, anywhere that you can, where those, those things exist, right? Yeah. There's a lot of problems with. Um, illegal or illicit booze and and it may be you know oh well I had this you know bottle of wine or a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle 23 oh, yeah. right I drank it and now I finished it but I kept the bottle in perfect condition I refilled it with something else and I sold it as something else right I sold it to you as Pappy Van Winkle but it's not it's bourbon x or whatever so yeah. pappy is like super duper bougie love whiskey pappy. scotch yeah <laughs> it's my husband's favorite mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. i can't afford it on a cook budget it's it's crazy <laughs> we had well i shouldn't say we because i can't drink scotch i'm just like such a girly girl that way oh whatever <laughs> although i know uh Dare's wife drinks scotch so she's my wife's a scotch drinker yes, <laughs> yeah she is. but i'm she i'm is. still so like wine and you know mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um but he loves Paffy Van Winkle we had a glass the other day um at town square I saw he lost his bet yeah he, he that's <laughs> usually his like his easy way out to scotch it's like a way to lose a bet and still win mm-hmm. you know <laughs> let's do McAllen yeah let's do a Pappy yeah. um since you're a mixologist mm-hmm. I would love to ask you the question because I read so many articles yesterday and today about the difference between a mixologist and a bartender. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are purists out there that mm-hmm. will say, well, they're just, you know, hipsters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, it's so pretentious mm-hmm. <laughs> to call yourself a mixologist. What is the difference and is there a difference? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. You said you read a lot of articles. I would imagine that out of those articles, you probably read almost everybody with a different answer, right? It's, oh, definitely. It's, it's, and that's... That's the thing is that this is a subjective conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, the there is a difference. It's slight, but okay. there's the difference between a bartender and a mixologist. To me, is a bartender is somebody who is literally quite literally behind a bar. That is their job. They are mm-hmm. behind a bar. Um, they are they are interacting with a guest a lot of the time. Um, a mixologist is a little bit different where they're putting together cocktails and whatnot, but my concern isn't for the guest in front of me at the time. Right. Um, I can put together a lot of flavors and, and such like that, and then I help to teach those drinks to somebody else. Um, and then they can in turn build them behind their bar. Gotcha. Um, so I have an opportunity to build cocktails on a, on a slower pace than a bartender would. Yeah. Um, because that's i'm not i'm not concerned with somebody that's sitting in front of me every every single day my my paycheck isn't coming from the hospitality that a bartender 
uh, provides and right. the service that a bartender provides over the bar and then, you know, giving you a great cocktail and hoping that the tip that you, you know, give them or the gratuities are, are what pays their bills. And um, so, but that's not how I'm paid. I'm paid mm-hmm. be based on creativity and making sure that I can educate those bartenders properly so that they can do that for you. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So, th- I mean, that would be my main difference of mm-hmm. between a bartender and a mixologist. We're both making drinks. It's just, um, and, and one isn't better than the other, right? Mm-hmm. The mixologist is not a better bartender. It, it, they're just a little bit different with what your day-to-day functionality might be. Right. That makes sense. I feel like a bartender is like more oriented for to customer service experience. Direct customer yeah. service. And customer I would tell service. you that I'm still a bartender at heart because, yeah. I, I mean, you're sitting in the academy room at Southern Glaciers and... You know, I do train a lot of bartenders and such. So, and, but I still try to purvey and that, and portray that that hospitality because they will learn based off of what I do, right? Yeah. And I have to be able to teach them that. So I still try to play in that realm a little bit, and I teach that because that's what I think made me successful when I was behind the bar. Still, right. was you know in Las Vegas, and I preach this all the time. In Las Vegas, we have thousands and thousands of bars and your bar is four steps from somebody else's bar right and they can pay eight dollars for a beer anywhere they want to go (laughs) you know what i mean they can pay fifteen dollars for a gray goose and soda anywhere they want to go why are they coming to you right so you have to do something different because the drinks get pretty much the same um and i mean other than the glassware or the ice that you may use or whatever the case may be but your personality the way that you make that drink speaks volumes and that's what's going to keep them coming back yeah. It sounds uh, very similar to how we would describe the difference between a cook and a chef. Mm-hmm. So a cook is doing the everyday duties of making the food that's going on your plate. Maybe people don't know this, but you know, a chef is not doing a lot of your cooking for the most part. Mm-hmm. A chef is doing the directing. The chef is doing the teaching, mm-hmm. the managing, the, the recipe coming up with the ideas, coming yep. up with the recipes, right. and the cooks are the people who execute them. Right. So maybe mm-hmm. that's kind of similar. Yeah to a mixologist and a bartender. I think Correct. so. Yeah. Okay. So drawing that parallel between chefs mm-hmm. and mixologists, mm-hmm. I always thought that that was interesting because mm-hmm. I, when I would hear you describe how you come up with ideas when I was listening to ASPN radio, mm-hmm. it's very similar to that of a cook or a chef where you go to culinary school or you go to your first couple of jobs as a cook and you learn the basics, mm-hmm. the bechamel sauce, mm-hmm. you know, the... Espanol, the hollandaise, right? And then you take all that you've learned and you start kind of just tweaking it. Tweaking, right? So you tweak and you tweak and and many, if not most, recipes that you see out there are based on classic recipes. Mm-hmm. So when I listen to you on the radio, mm-hmm. I hear you kind of talking about that, where you start with a mojito, or is that kind of how a lot of the creativity happens? 100%. I mean, for the average, or not even for the average, for most bartenders, that's the easy way to make a drink and the most successful way to make a drink. I mean, I don't want to make the word easy sound like I'm taking a shortcut or bartenders take a shortcut, because my goal as a bartender is to make something that you drink and you drink I want you to drink five of them. Right. <laughs> you know. I want. Right. You know. So if if I and can take a drink like a mojito, which is basically a rum sour, mm-hmm. right, with club soda, but that sour happens to have a little bit of mint in it, and and I can tweak that and and make something else that's delicious and say, okay, well, you don't like rum and you don't like mint, so if I take that recipe and I say, okay, well, I'll switch to vodka. You like vodka? 
okay, yeah, I like vodka. So I'll take that and I'll switch the rum to an orange vodka. Mm-hmm. And instead of mint, I'll use basil. Mm-hmm. And you have the template of a mojito and you've completely changed the drink and somebody's like, now it's, now it's in their wheelhouse. So yeah, bartenders do that same thing. There are, you know, my, my dear, dear friend and colleague, Livio Laro, he's got a book called The 12 Cocktails. And The 12 Cocktails is kind of a template for beginning bartenders to talk about. Here are the 12 drinks that you're probably, you should know how to make. And, ba- and it's even about techniques like stirred, muddled, shaken, mm-hmm. or whatever. And once you know these 12, you can do anything. You know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to take and balance those things out. Right. Because not everything's a home run. Some flavors don't mix together, you know, as you, as you, as you well know through cooking, you know, but, but generally that's what, what can get you there. And that's the quickest point from A to point B. The 12 cocktails. Padawan Louis trying to fucking absorb all of this. (laughs) Right. And now. I'm like, I'm going to turn into the Jedi alcoholic. Right? <laughs> Just because I like, I, I like drinking stuff. I like eating stuff. I like mm-hmm. flavor. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, speaking of flavor, mm-hmm. do you ever research flavor combos? Like, are mm-hmm. you kind of like, hmm, you know, I know when I eat this food, you know, basil and mozzarella, like, taste good together. Like, do you do that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I pay a lot of attention to what... Uh, the chefs that he, we have here at Southern are doing, Chef Ben and Chef Dia. Mm-hmm. Um, I watch what they're doing and the flavors that they're putting together. Those help me. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, classic flavor combinations. Anytime I go out to eat, I pay attention to what's on the plate. You know, I, you know, if I'm if I'm working on an Asian concept, right? Somebody, I'll go sit down, and have sushi, and I'm like, watch the chefs. I want to see what's in, you know, on the plate when I have sushi. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, ginger, wasabi, and I start just. You know, if these flavors go together on a plate, they can probably go together in a drink. Mm-hmm. Right. At some point, um, sometimes you get really lucky and flavors come like at, by fun. I, I tell this story often um, and I don't, anytime I put these flavors together in a drink, whatever it may be, um, I don't tell the story until after I make the drink and I get the approval that they like it. Because <laughs> what I, yeah, what I, I remember a few years ago, cause it just, it, it talks to you about how inspiration comes to you from any angle. Um, I was, I was, it was the summer day and I was making so like a fruit bowl or something, cutting up fruit and I had some cantaloupe and I was cutting up some cantaloupe and whatever and just putting some fruit on the plate. And uh, I had the trash can next to me so I was just throwing away the, the husks or the, the rind of the cantaloupe. And we were also doing like some Mexican food that day so I was cutting up like um, bell peppers and whatnot. Meanwhile, the trash had filled up for the end of the day, and I w- my wife says, Jerry, you need to take out the trash. So I say, yeah, of course. So I, I go to take the trash out, and as I pull the trash and the, cinch the bag, I get hit with bell pepper and cantaloupe Ooh. in my nose. And I was like, hmm. Hmm, that will work in a drink. And I made mm-hmm. started making drinks with bell pepper and cantaloupe as a I blend together. <laughs> but I don't tell people that my inspiration was cinching the bag of trash. Right. You know, but that's, that's how I, that's, uh, it, it, you know, now that I think about it, I'm like, oh, of course they go together. Yeah. But sometimes you just, you're not thinking savory and, and fruit like that in mm-hmm. the same drink, but it, they, they can work. Yeah. So to be a good mixologist, do you have to be born with that palate? No. I don't think so. I think you just have to be... You can develop it. Yeah, absolutely. You can develop it. I think you just have to want it, you know? Mm. Um, I can't say that I was born with a great palate, and I tell this to people a lot, too, is to me, a palate's trained, Mm -hmm. right? 
mm-hmm. it's like going to the gym. Mm-hmm. When you, the more you taste, the more you eat, and you you pick up flavors. You know, the if you smell a glass of wine, if we all sit here, we're going to pick up different flavors on it. And the untrained palate will say, yeah, it smells like wine, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The trained palate will start picking up more, oh, blackberry, raspberry, Brandy this, that, whatever, right? Yeah. And the more that you do that, even with the same glass of wine, the more that you'll start to pick up is because you're, you're getting better at it. So mm-hmm. it's like going to the gym. The more you pick up 20-pound weights, at some point, the 20-pound weight's going to become light mm-hmm. right. for whatever exercise you're doing, right? And then you can move up. And it's the same thing with your palate. Keep it trained. But if you stop, you the 20-pound weights will become heavy yeah. again. Right. Use it or lose it kind of mm-hmm. thing. So is there a career hazard there, <laughs> like having to drink? all the time for research R&D so yes and no if you don't know how to control yourself mm-hmm. right you know we live in Las Vegas do you city, spit so cocktails I do okay I do I do I, spit, I didn't know that I, I, I'll spit cocktails and I'll spit spirits okay um, most I tell people if I drink if I consumed if I swallowed everything I tasted every day I'd be a mess right. I'd be an absolute mess every single right. day and and so you, you just can't rehab. do it. yeah and because sometimes my first sip of alcohol is 8 9 o'clock in the morning you know, it's just because it's it's what you're doing through the day. You know, um, and and so if I if I consumed everything, I, I would be a, I would be a disaster. So I spit a lot. Um, obviously, there's a lot of caloric intake and stuff there through the right. course of the day, and it depends on what you're drinking, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're tasting gin, and then next thing you know, later on, you're tasting sherry, and then next thing you're tasting right. wine, and so it's all over the board too. So you know, it, by living in Las Vegas, once you can learn to like, hey, yes, the the gaming and the casinos are there. And I'm now I'm no longer on vacation, so they're not going anywhere. If I need yeah. to if I need to go, I can go. And it's the same thing with alcohol for me. Is you know, sure the 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 beer, the wine, the spirits, they're not going anywhere. Right. You know, so when it's time to you know, like if I'm at a restaurant at a dinner table with you two, you know, I'm not going to spit my drink out. Right. <laughs> that'd, that'd be weird. That'd be weird. <laughs> so yeah. creepy. Right. Right. But behind this bar at the academy room or training or whatever, sure, I'll spit it out. And right. and it's and nobody looks at you two ways about right. it. Um, because it's part of what you have to do to to maintain your your the level head through the course of the day. Mm-hmm. So for us, when we eat the same thing every single day, we don't or spit it out. <laughs> yeah, it true. Goes here. <laughs> true. We just get better. <laughs> um, uh, we get tired of it. So mm-hmm. yeah. when you're uh, taste bud fatigue. Yeah, gosh. Okay. And I would I would guess it would do the same for alcohol too, right? Do you get kind of like a I don't know, like you're so sick of vodka at some point or you're so sick of tequila. Do you get to a point where you're just worn out on a certain liquor or wine or beer because you're testing it and tasting it so much? Um, not for me per se. No. I haven't run into that yet. Um, you know, because like I said, you know, every time I, I try to challenge myself, you know, you'll put, you, you'll put different vodkas or gins or rums, tequilas, whatever it may be in front of you. And then you'll learn them. And then you say, okay, like, put these in front of me again, but don't tell me what they are and I'll see if I can pick them out. I want to pick brands out. So you keep continually trying to challenge yourself with stuff like that, I guess. So I, I haven't experienced any kind of a fatigue like that. There are certainly people in this industry that are like, I hate vodka. Right. And I'm, and, and, and you know, uh, a famous quote by my dear friend, Tony Aboganum has always said, why do you hate vodka? What did vodka ever do to you? Right. You know, <laughs> right. what did vodka do to you? You know, and then there's another quote out there that says, vodka pays the bills, you know? Right. And, and so, but, so there, but there are people out there that, really hate vodka for whatever reason, you know, and I'm not one of them. I, I kind of, um, uh, an equal opportunity employer when it comes to my palate. I don't, I, I, I mean, there are certainly things that I enjoy less, you know, um, but Jägermeister? I, 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 I like Jägermeister. Such See, as, I okay. I'm curious. Yeah, I can. What do you not like? 
Um, it's not about not what liking. Do you not okay, yeah. It's like so, not prefer. So for me, like um, when I talk, like uh, spirits wise, to me on my palate, um, Isla Scotch is a little too much to have more than one. Okay. You know, I can enjoy one. Okay. But after that, like there are people that can just go like, oh yeah, I love that stuff. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. I, it's not for me. Like okay. I can enjoy it. I can appreciate it. Mm-hmm. But one is plenty. One is plenty. And and similar to that in, in the case of like mezcal, the smoky products like that on my palate, uh, one, mezcal is a little bit easier on me than, than uh, Isla Scotch would be. But it, it over time, I'm like, okay, enough already. I got to do something else. IPAs, IPA beers. I am not, if I'm having an IPA beer, it, I cannot do it with food. Yeah. It hurts. It, it, yeah, it completely wipes out my palate. It's right. And it I cannot does. taste Ew. anything else. So I, I don't know how people drink IPA and eat together. I can't yeah. do it. I, I can't yeah. taste any food. So uh, I don't I, even know. taste chips. Yeah, it's, like if yeah. you're watching a game and you're drinking an IPA, right. I don't taste like snack food. So if I'm having an IPA, it's it's I'm having a beer, and yeah. that's what I'm doing, right? Yeah, and, and that's it. Um, so those, those are just a few. It's not that I don't enjoy them. It's just you know there's a they're, they're, they're not there's not they're not sessionable to me where mm-hmm. I can feel like like Modelo for beer. Like mm-hmm. I love Modelo, right? <laughs> love Modelo. Or um, I'm a tequila guy, so I enjoy tequilas, and I feel like I can have several of them, and, and I and I can I can move within the category, and I can I I don't get tired of it. I get to a point where I shouldn't have anymore, right. but I, I get I don't get tired of it. I'm like, oh, that's great, that's great, and this is the nuances they offer, so it's exciting to move around and without getting too much palate fatigue. So speaking of tequila, mm-hmm. that brings me on to my next next subject, which is pairing. Mm-hmm. Um, I once went to an amazing dinner that was paired with tequila Mm -hmm. and tequila cocktails. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's so common, you know, especially at the more upscale restaurants to pair food always with wine, Mm -hmm. which is wonderful. I love wine. But it's really interesting and different when you go to a chef's dinner that's coursed out and they've paired it along the way with cocktails. Uh, I feel like for me, just in my lifetime, it's a newer thing. Um, there are less restaurants that do it, but I love when they do it. Um, what's kind of the key to that when you're asked to pair with a specific dish or a progression of dishes? I think it's about, for, for me, when I try to pair, you know, it's funny because everybody has their different philosophies behind it, right? Right. And some chefs that I've worked with will be like, well, yeah, um, you know, go ahead and write the menu. I'm like, well, what's the food? Right. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I don't know yet. I'm like, so <laughs> they'll pair it for you to your well, well, cocktails? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <Not> really. <laughs> um, because I, I, I think it's easier the other way around, frankly. Yeah, I would I mean, think, yes. So I usually tell the chef, like, listen, uh, uh, 100%, if, if I get my way, you tell me what the menu is. I come in, I can taste the food, and then I can go to work. But if that's not an option based on time and right. just you have to be able to write a, write the menu for me and then help me understand what you're going for as far as the, the lead flavor in yeah. that in that dish. Okay. And I can play off of that lead flavor, sweet, savory, sour, whatever it may be, um, or, you know, strong and weak or what, however we want to do it. Um, but it, but that's, that's how I play off of it. And it really just depends on what the lead flavor or flavors are in that dish. And, you know, if there are subtle nuances, what are they there for, right? Like jicama. Are, are, if, 
if you're looking at jicama, it's generally probably for texture. Not mm-hmm. You're not getting much flavor from that. But no. if for some reason the chef is trying to get some sort of flavor out of jicama, i got to be careful because I can't use something that's going to completely overpower that. It's easy to overpower. Right. So you know, I have to understand where their mind is at. Um, with with what the dish is trying to purvey, and then I feel like I can create a pretty good pairing for it. If I'm making the cocktails myself, or if I'm making them with my team, I feel like I can get more creative. Versus, if I'm giving a recipe to somebody to duplicate, 99 times out of 100, I am not there, not by choice, but just by circumstance, mm-hmm. to teach anybody how to make it. They're just like, hey, give me a menu, and and I'll write a recipe. But I have to ask those questions, like who's making this drink? When are they making it? Are they batching it? How many people's for dinner? Because I need to understand what when you try to execute this, how are you trying to execute it, right? You right. know, oh, I got one bartender and two hundred people. Like, okay, of course, yeah, we got, a pro- we got a problem. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're not going to be uh, muddling a bunch of stuff, uh, right? You're <laughs> right. You know, we have we have a big problem here, right. and so you know, it's you have to be able to understand all the circumstances they're trying to go through to make the best pairing possible. But it can be done. Um, it just you know, it's a very it has to be very cohesive between the chef and the bartenders and whoever's creating the beverage. I think when it's done well, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this because I'm from the Bay Area and I grew up in Napa area, but I honestly think when it's done well, I think it's more interesting than a wine pairing dinner. Oh, yeah. I think it, it can be. It can be a lot of fun. We actually did a tequila and cheese pairing in the Academy with Casa Noble tequila about a month, uh, month and a half ago. Invitation next time. <laughs> I'll tell you what. We love tequila. Yeah, it was, and, and to see... <laughs> what happens with your palate and the way that the cheeses affect the tequila is mind-blowing and and it's not you know um you know if somebody would say oh pair wine with cheese right Right. and you would think not twice about what wine or what cheese they put together right right right. yeah i would not tell you that about tequila and cheese because i could tell you some uh, if you tasted some tequila even casa noble a beautiful brand with cheddar you could taste it be like, oh, this is disgusting. Yeah, yeah. But it pairs well with certain kinds of cheese. And, you know, we, and I can't even recall the names of the cheese we did. I went to uh, our friends at Cured and Way, and we, we used um, all kinds of really fun cheeses. And we showed the, the students that when you taste the tequila, swallow it, mm-hmm. then taste the cheese, swallow it, and then go back to the tequila and swallow it, how that is a beautiful thing versus putting tequila and cheese in your mouth at the same time. Yeah. Disgusting. That's kind of like... Disgusting. Putting uh, whites and coloreds in the same (laughs) freaking... Like in the laundry? Yeah, laundry. (laughs) Doesn't work. That's what my son does. They all go in the same thing. He's like, what ups? (laughs) Um, What are some great places for cocktails? Like in your opinion here in Las Vegas, what are some places you enjoy to go Mm -hmm. going to and you feel like they have a great cocktail program sure well we're, we're, we're getting more and more which is great um venetian has several that i really enjoy the dorsey, mm, the dorsey. electra yeah. rosina love those three cocktail bars are um they're kind of put together by sam ross out of new york attaboy in new york uh herbs and rye is phenomenal yeah. um, i really like herbs and rye they always do I a do great too. job yeah cleaver is their sister restaurant they always do a great job those are kind of it like m- you know mainstays um the Wynn Cocktail Program is doing very well. Um, they have some really cool stuff going on there. Um, but if you know, if if it's me and, and I, you know I get one place to choose, I'll probably pick something at the Venetian. I really enjoy that property. Right. So all these people, these mixologists at different properties, do they come here to? Some. Yeah. Some. I mean, it, it depends. You know, um, 
ego has a lot to do with a lot of things, right? Ooh, okay. You know, um, <laughs> it does. And I mean, and so some people, in air quotes, know everything, and they don't need your help. Hmm. You know, and that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. You know, uh, some others they. While they don't need your help to create the cocktail per se, they would like your help to kind of like come up with the ideas around it. So we work together to help that, um, and, and that's fun too. So you that, mean like glasses and glassware, how it's served. or yeah, you know, uh, we have stupid amount of SKUs in our portfolio between beer, wine, spirit, like twenty five, thirty thousand SKUs, whatever it is. It's an enormous number. They don't know. I, I don't even know them all, right? Mm-hmm. I, and I've been here for almost eight years. There's no way that the, the, the lead mixologist at a property or the lead bartender at a bar would know them, right. right? And so often they'll be like, all right, Jared, listen, I'll create the drinks, but I'm looking for rums, gins, and tequilas that aren't mainstream. Cool. I'll get the stuff, we'll pull it, we'll taste here together, and we'll, we'll think of ideas. We'll, we'll come up with a flavor profile, mm-hmm. you know? So do they need me to create the drink for them? No, they're plenty talented. I don't, they don't, but they would... They use my help for like, oh, okay, well, wow, I really taste a, do you get, you know, sage in this? Yeah, I do get sage in that. That'd be fun. And we would like take those ideas down and then you can play off of those ideas in the cocktail. So that's where they would use me for those, those people. Then there are others that are um, very much the opposite where it's like, no, man, like do your thing. Right. Do your thing. So, so. there are definitely trends in food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not just, you know, trends in restaurants. Right, right now there's a trend here in Vegas where there's a ton of northern Italian restaurants yeah. popping Crazy, up everywhere, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is great. I love northern Italian food. Next wave's going to be Peruvian. Well, I would... Be oh ready. Gosh. Yes. Mm-hmm. Peruvian food Please. Would be that would be mm-hmm. amazing because that's next my favorite wave. kind of food. Uh, so trends for alcohol, for cocktails, um, what are you kind of seeing going through your doors that you're thinking of, that you're seeing out there? Are there particular trends right now sure. or upcoming ones? Yeah. Sure. One of the trends that, and I'm favorable in favor of this one a lot because I, this is a style of cocktail I enjoy myself, is uh, low ABV, so low alcohol oh, cocktails. Okay. Uh, okay. Like the spritz, for instance, like Aperol spritz, Aperol, okay. a little bit of club soda and sparkling. Prosecco. And is that so is you can enjoy more? Yes. Okay. It, or it, it, is it a seasonal thing? No, not necessarily. Okay. It's a, it's like uh, lighter for summer. Is that what you're talking like, about? Yeah. Well, you know, like a, a spritz is an Italian thing. Okay. You know, December, December February, Italy. March doesn't matter. Like <laughs> that's what we drink. Spritz, please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, you know, I, I like spritz, and spritz is a category, not a drink. Right, right, right. You okay. Know? So uh, if I say, if you say, hey, I'll have a spritz, I would, that's like, like coming to me what? and saying, hey, I'll have a wine. <laughs> yeah. Great. Let's awesome. talk. We have a, we have a deeper conversation. <laughs> uh, but so, you know, spritz is a category, um, low ABV style cocktails I enjoy because I like the sessionability of it. I like having two, three, and still having a great conversation. We could be on our third spritz right now, and you probably wouldn't know. Any Why are we? Yeah, right? That's terrible. My, my bad. Uh, but you, you wouldn't know because it's just, it's it's that kind of thing. It's very easy to enjoy. I love that. Right? That's like the tapas yeah. of know, right? liquor, right? right? It's like you can taste a bunch of bites because your, your palate gets bored after right. a while. Yeah. It's, I love that idea of small plates and right. family so style. She, mm-hmm. To me, that sounds like yeah. your spritz. So, so that's that's a big one. Um, non-alcoholic drinks, no AB. BV, um, is, virgin. Is, yeah, virgin drinks are really? becoming a thing now. Yeah, wow. because there's a lot of people that um, still want to, you know, be social with their friends, 
don't want to just have a glass of water or soda water. So what right. can you give me that's a little bit more? I feel more? like that's scary for you to say. It's like, In your but, industry, it's, is it scary to you? Well, no, not necessarily <laughs> because there's still an item of mixology behind okay. it, right? Mm-hmm. You can still make flavors. Right. And frankly, you know, um, my job here at Southern, you know, while I'm, I'm used to sell alcohol, I'm also used to sell the non-alcoholic things we right. have. And I can create many great cocktails or non-alcoholic beverages, I should say, mm-hmm. off of the other things that we have in That's our portfolio. That's interesting to me. Syrups, <laughs> purees, uh, sodas, soda waters, things that are flavored non-alcoholic that would make a great cocktail or non-alcoholic cocktail. I mean, it makes sense. It could be health reason. It could be right. maybe they're off the, wag- yeah. or off the wagon or whatever. That's interesting. Um, is there a trend at all toward non-sugar? Because for me, as somebody who enjoys cocktails... I tend to not drink cocktails when I go to restaurants mm-hmm. because I feel like the sugar content is so high and I am trying to be healthier. Sure. And it also makes me feel like crap, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Just personally, when I mix sugar with alcohol, it doesn't end up being a good thing for me. So is that something that people are considering at all? Because I know it makes everything better. Well, you know, here's the thing. like sh- The sugar part of it is interesting because I think if you're balancing a cocktail correctly... The sugar shouldn't be an issue, it right? It shouldn't show. Here's the problem with some of this is, is that in in some of the lesser bars, I'll call it. I don't I don't know what better word at the moment, but good choice. You know, yeah, <laughs> they're just they're they're not trained properly to understand balance, mm-hmm. right? So there could be an an absorbent amount of sugar in a drink when it doesn't need it, right? Mm. So the proper amount of sugar should balance a drink well, you know, um, maybe depending on how you lean, I like a little more acid to my drinks personally, Mm -hmm. Um, but it shouldn't have too much sugar in it. The problem is people at the lesser bars aren't measuring properly. They're not, they're not um, using the proper ingredients or they don't understand how to balance a cocktail. So they'll put simple syrup and then, or everything. It's, it's, there's a ton. They're there to dispense. Yeah. Not please. But it's yeah. just so you know, you know, and, and being able to understand the balance and like, okay, well, if I'm using uh, three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup in this drink with three quarters ounce of uh, you know acid, but I'm also using Seven Up, like there's sugar in that Seven Up, and you have to understand for most people, like for me, okay, now I can dial back on that sugar because right. I got sugar in the Seven You've Up. Compounded so, yeah. it, right? You've compounded it exactly. But when I write a recipe for somebody that isn't going to. Um, I'm not, that's not going to be trained. That's just like, send me a piece, give me a recipe and I'll make it. Right. I have to make it that way because otherwise it, it it's going it, to, it's easy for them to read. I have to make it simple for them to read. Uh-huh. Um, th- that way it gets made uh, probably a chance of it being made a little more uh, correctly. Right. Um, and balanced out. Sometimes if you start missing, oh, I need three quarters ounce of lemon and a quarter ounce of simple syrup because the seven ups making up for the rest. Mm-hmm. It doesn't translate very well, and it, things get messed up, and then the drink becomes really acidic or something like that. So you're like, all right, just make it easy. It's kind of like in our world, you know, when we use unsalted versus salted butter. Mm-hmm. Oh, for we sure. Need to dial down. Yeah, yeah. and I think fix. a lot of home cooks have they don't understand that unsalted butter is the way to go because right. you're adding the amount of salt that you want to your food. Exactly. Especially for desserts. If you're adding salt to your brownies and then you use salted butter, it's just like... Right, ah, right, right. Yeah. Salt on salt on salt. Unless you work at a restaurant that just loves salt, which we definitely have. I did a drink <laughs> one time for a, a, a large batch. I was batching for somebody and they sent me the recipe that they wanted and I learned something new this day. Um, we batched the drink out had yuzu in it Mm-hmm. Mm, and yuzu. I love yuzu. Yeah. And so we're tasting the drink, and at the end of that, I'm like, oh, 
why does this thing taste so salty? <laughs> I couldn't figure out why the drink was salty. And I, I was like, maybe it's me. So I asked some colleagues, I'm like, is this salty? They're like, oh my gosh, yeah. I couldn't figure it out. And then I realized that some yuzu juices come to you salted. Huh. So the, the, that happened to me. the juice we purchased, because you don't have fresh yuzus to squeeze, you have to purchase yuzu juice. It's hard to find them. Yeah. The, Especially the, in Nevada. <laughs> right, right. The juice that we used was salted yuzu juice. I had no idea that it even existed until wow. a couple years ago. So And so, yeah, I had to figure out how to take a batch that I had already done with and Balance not it. make it taste like salt. Right? Did you use sour? Uh, we used grapefruit juice, actually. It's grapefruit sweet. juice. Grapefruit it's a juice sweet helped bitter. it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To compound it up. Uh, yeah, I made a yuzu iced tea and I took one swig of it. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell's going on here? You were extra salty that yeah, day. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, but yeah. Weird. Um, so, in the interest of teaching, uh, what's the path? to becoming a mixologist? Because I think it's one of those careers that's like a cool career. Mm -hmm, How do I do that? Mm -hmm. For somebody that's, you know, out of school and, wow, I want to be a mixologist. Well, you know, obviously, you know, there's there's a couple different things and they all have to kind of come together, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, Obviously, experience behind a bar is a good help, a good start, right? Uh, Most people start as, you know, maybe as a server or a busser in a restaurant or even a bar back and they kind of work their way up from there. Having that kind of foundation is nice. Um, You can start the other way where if you want to go to school, a bartending school and learn. Um, To me, I'm much better hands-on like School of Hard Knocks. I want to get... So on-the-job training. That's what I like, yeah, personally. Uh, But then after that, once once you've said to yourself, okay, well, I really like this bartending thing and I think I want to learn more... Um, then you can, you know, you, you can join the USBG, the United States Bartenders Guild. They have all mm-hmm. kinds of classes and teaching environments. We teach everything here, spirits, wine, uh, sake, beer, everything in the academy at Southern. So you can follow us on social media, and we host different classes all the time for whatever, right? We have um, some, some sommeliers in the building, and there are three of them. And they're hosting classes all the time, and it could be like, "Hey, taste all these wines just with tartaric." We gotta do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that sounds amazing. Yeah, there's there's all kinds of stuff, and some of them are for a nominal fee. Some of them are free, mm-hmm. you know. But it's just you know, and you come and go as you please. If you if you want to learn more, we we offer all those things. But through the USBG in particular, or through you know the Court of Master Sommeliers, yeah. then there are testings that come along with that, and through those testings, you can um, earn certificates and to say that you're a level one, level two, level three, or master, right. or in the USBG, it's spirits professional, advanced bartender, or master mixologist. So there are different aspects to doing it, but should you want to get to those and do those things, um, the classes help. And then, of course, you have to be able to speak in front of people. That's another one that, right. you know, a lot of people have a ton of they education. They don't realize, yeah. A lot of people have a ton of education, and they're very smart, but the moment you put a microphone or a TV camera in front of them, it becomes a different scenario. There are a lot of yeah. chefs like that. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Chefs they, are like introverts. Like, yeah. we only want to deal with our own Just kind. let me cook. All, all of the knowledge in the world, but they're, they're, the moment there's a camera on them, right. it, it becomes, like, totally different. Yeah. Totally. And, 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 and it's weird to see people, like, you know, when that when that happens to them because you usually see it live because you don't, they don't think about it. Right. They don't think about it oh, yeah. until the, you're live and the camera's right. there and it's like... The light goes on. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's weird. You're and so right. I, 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 I'm still dealing with, like when I teach stuff like that, you know, uh, being able to help people I don't know if it's better to say something up front or right. not because I almost want to pre-warn them because I'm like, oh my gosh, I know it's coming. 
I, I know would it's just coming. say it in advance. Yeah, so I've done that now. I'm like, listen, yeah. just remember, just try to ignore that thing in front of you. They're like, no, no, no problem. And I'm okay, good. And then it's like, yeah, yeah, right. dead air. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Okay, so we're going to switch gears for our last segment. Yeah. We're going to do on the fly, mm-hmm. which is 60 seconds okay. of questions. Just Ready. say the first thing that Love comes it. to your mind. First thing, is okay. it one word? Uh, no. <clears throat> okay. No, no, no. Anything. All right, starting now. What's the last alcoholic drink you had? Beer. Favorite liquor? Gin. Cat or dog person? Dog. Favorite, <laughs> favorite drink city? London. Really? Good one. Hobby outside of work? Baseball. Go-to bar for chilling? Dorsey. Mm-hmm. You chill at the Dorsey? I love it. Dorsey-Worsey. <laughs> You're a fan I can smoke cigars there, so <laughs> yeah. that's why. Favorite Las Vegas restaurant right now? Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, it's like picking a favorite child, a, isn't it? That's a t- I mean, I'm, there's so many good ones. Cut. Okay. Best tool behind the bar? Boston Shaker. Favorite sport to watch while drinking? Baseball. Hardest part of your job? Long hours. What was your first dream job? My first dream job? This one. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, no, that's a, that's, a, that's a lie. Base, professional baseball player was my first dream okay. job. Okay. I was going to say, because that rarely yeah, happened. My, you know my, yeah. yeah, I'm so totally sensing a trend with like sports and yeah. people who are in our industry. Yeah. 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 My first dream job, I was definitely professional baseball player. Um, but the first job that I actually sat down, because I was in the, 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 well, before it was this, we had another room that was similar to it. We just called it the Bacchus room. Mm-hmm. But it was a teaching room, right? Same area. And the reason I got into this was what I was doing is because I watched my mentor, Francesco LaFranconi, teach a class um, on grappa. He had, he had just gotten back from Italy, mm-hmm. and um, he was coming to us to teach a class on grappa. And he was showing pictures, talking about grappa, and I remember sitting back in my chair saying to myself, so this dude goes on vacation, drinks, <laughs> comes back and talks about it, and that's work? I'm like, I'm in. I, how do I do this? How do I do this? He's a rock star. It is really right? a dream job. Yeah, so I, I was like, that's what I need to do. And so that, that was the day that I kind of sat back and I said, Okay. This is what, the job for me. What do I have to do to I'm do that? Buckle you know, down. And buckle this down. That's what, what I did. Be. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you totally. so much, JR. Absolutely a this pleasure. Was awesome. Thank you so much. Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits. I'm going to end with a quote from Dean Martin. We're staying Rat Pack Stout oh, today. Cool. He says, quote, or he said, I feel sorry for people who don't drink. They wake up in the morning, and that's the best they're going to feel all day long. Amen. Louie. How do you reach us? You can get us on our Instagram page at Two Sharp, Two Sharp Chefs, at Facebook at Two Sharp Chefs and a Microphone, and on our email address at Two Sharp Chefs at gmail.com. All right. Have a great day. We'll talk to you again soon.